Um, I know it's the, the middle of summer, it's July, and Christmas is five months away, but I'm one of those people that uh, loves Christmas stuff all year round, so hopefully you guys don't have a problem with it, but if you do, um, sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> um, so if you've been here, uh, if you've been here uh, the last uh, couple weeks, uh, we've been going through this series on the Sabbath, and today's going to be the third and last message of the series. And um, as I've been preparing for this sermon the last few weeks, um, and also just getting to hear from Pastor James and Pastor Steve the last couple Sundays, uh, it's been really eye-opening for me, I think in a good way, uh, to better understand what Sabbath is and what it means to us as we live out our lives as Christians in this world. So you're probably wondering why I chose to uh, show that scene from uh, the movie Elf and how it relates to our topic. Um, honestly, part of it is just, I just uh, really think it's hilarious when he's testing the jack-in-the-boxes and uh, that part always cracks me up, so I'll take any excuse I can to show it. Um, but I also felt like the scene uh, before that really captures uh, one of the struggles that um, a lot of us have when it comes to uh, how we feel like we need to be productive in our work, um, to feel like we're useful or that we're worth something. Um, so in that scene, um, Buddy the Elf, uh, played by Will Ferrell, he's one of uh, Santa's workers in the North Pole, and his job is uh, basically just to build these Etch-a-Sketch toys. And then when his supervisor comes in and um, checks on how many toys he's made, uh, Buddy uh, finds himself uh, just totally overwhelmed with shame because he only finished uh, 85 toys, which to me seems like a lot, but I guess it was 915 less than what was expected. And it just causes him to kind of melt down and call himself a cotton-headed ninny muggins, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. And um, yeah, I guess like, I don't know if you guys have encountered this before in your lives and with your work, um, but this is actually something that I think I could really relate to. Um, there's been a lot of times in my life when I felt like my job or my work was not going the way that um, I thought it would. Um, either I wasn't getting promoted or I wasn't getting the raises that the people around me were getting uh, or I wasn't passing my exams as quickly as I had hoped. And you know, when that, whenever that happens, I find that it just really brings me um, just a lot of frustration, a lot of shame, just a lot of feelings of resentment and uh, even envy, um, just a lot of bad feelings. So um, I think whether we realize it or admit it or not, there's a lot of expectations that we attach to our work. Um, and either they get, um, these expectations either get placed on us uh, or we put them on ourselves. And when we don't live up to those standards, it really affects us on a really uh, deep level. And I would say that it's probably one of the most common reasons why we experience uh, stress and even just spiritual uh, dissatisfaction uh, in our lives today. Uh, so that brings us to the topic of Sabbath. And the passage that Andrew just read from Exodus, I think, is a really great and relevant text for us to look at. Um, so we're in Exodus 31, and this is um, a passage where God is telling Moses uh, to instruct the, uh, the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. Um, now before, yeah, before we even get into, I think, the text itself, uh, I felt like it would be helpful to understand some of the context and some of the events that have led up uh, to this point. Uh, so if you look at the entire book of Exodus, <clears throat> the first part, the early chapters, 
starts with the Israelites as slaves in the nation of Egypt. So for over 400 years, um, they're basically forced to do hard labor uh, in the fields uh, or building bricks and building things out of mortar. Uh, maybe you guys have seen the movie uh, Prince of Egypt, and you might remember the first scene just kind of shows the Israelite slaves being uh, whipped by their Egyptian masters. Uh, they're collecting straw, they're making bricks, and they're just lifting really heavy things. And a lot of them are just simply collapsing and you know, dying under the heavy burdens that they're forced to carry. Um, so it's a really dark time of suffering for the Israelites, but eventually they cry out to God. And God sends Moses to set them free from the Pharaoh and to bring them out of Egypt. So they're finally given their freedom, and it takes you know, a series of miracles, like the ten plagues, and God even splits uh, open the Red Sea to bring them uh, out of their slavery. Um, but even as the Israelites are out of Egypt and journeying away from Egypt, uh, things don't really go so well. Uh, so there's a story in Exodus 16 that some of you guys might be familiar with, um, when the Israelites start to grumble to, to Moses about being hungry. And God ends up answering them by um, actually just providing them like food from the sky. Like literally he just makes, uh, rains down this bread called manna and he gives them meat in the form of quail. And for the Israelites at this point, all they have to do each day is to go out and just collect uh, enough to eat, uh, just pick it up from the ground. Uh, but part of this story is that, you know, along with God providing them the food, he also gives them this special commandment. Um, he tells them that they're only supposed to collect food for the first six days, and each day they're only supposed to collect just the amount that they need for that day. Um, and then the one exception would be <clears throat> on the sixth day, um, they, they're told that they should collect twice as much uh, as the other day so that on the seventh day they can rest by not doing any work. And by the way, all this is before God even gives uh, the Ten Commandments, which doesn't come uh, until a few chapters later in Exodus 20. Um, there's actually some you know, scholars who would actually make the case that this command to the Israelites to Sabbath was actually the first actual command that God uh, gave to the Israelites. Um, but to me, like, the interesting thing about this story of the man and, the, and why I bring it up um, is that you know, even when God gave them this really simple and straightforward command, um, the sad thing is that they end up, you know, breaking this command uh, anyways. Um, so it tells us that there are some people who went out and instead of collecting just uh, one day's portion for that day, uh, they would still try to take extra amounts of manna, uh, more than they could eat that day, and then they try to store it up. Uh, but God would end up making that um, manna rot and grow worms in the following morning. And then there were the people who would still go out on the seventh day and try to gather manna, uh, even when God specifically told them not to. And of course, there's something, there was nothing to be found when they went there. And I say this is sad because if you think about it, um, these Israelites, there are people who are just set free um, from centuries of being slaves and of being overworked. And you'd think that when God finally set them free from Egypt and even provided them with all the food that they needed, um, that they wouldn't feel the need or the pressure to go out and do all this extra work um, beyond what God had told them to do. So I think I was thinking about it, and you know, when we talk about slavery, I think we usually tend to think of it mostly in the physical sense. Um, but I think what we don't realize is that slavery is also a psychological and a spiritual uh, condition. 
And you know, for the Israelites to be slaves in, Isra uh, in, in Egypt for 400 years means that basically their entire worth uh, as human beings uh, was reduced to what they were able to produce. So that meant that in Egypt, their lives and their identities were reduced to either the bricks that they were making or the straw that they were collecting. Um, and as soon as you stop being uh, productive, as soon as you stop being able to generate these things, um, then you might as well be discarded and tossed aside. And that's most likely how the Egyptians treated them. And that's a really um, sad and devastating mentality. And I think the fact that even after they were freed, when the Israelites still couldn't restrain themselves from going out to do extra work and to collect extra manna for themselves, I think that was an indication that they were still carrying this Egyptian way of thinking uh, with them. And I think they may have left Egypt behind in a physical sense, but they clearly never stopped being slaves in a spiritual sense. So I think um, that's you know, definitely sad to see, but um, you know, to think about it some more, I think what's even sadder is that even for us today, we're here thousands of years later, and we're living in a society where we call it, you know, we call ourselves a free country. But I think psychologically and spiritually, we still carry some of this uh, Egyptian slave mentality uh, with us in our lives. Um, I think it might not be as visible or as obvious, um, but I think for most of us, if not all of us, we still live with some, some level of spiritual enslavement to our work. Um, you know, as I shared earlier, it's always, for me, it's always a deep discouragement and disappointment when I feel like where my work and career aren't going well. And I think if I were to ask all of you guys right now, how much of the stress and anxiety in your life uh, is related to your job, if you were to just rate that at zero to 100, I'm pretty sure that would be a pretty high number for a lot of us. So whether we realize it or admit it or not, I think one way or another, we are like Buddy the Elf, trying to make our quota of Etch-a-Sketches, uh, but feeling bad about ourselves when we fall short. I'm saying all this because I think it really gets at the heart of why God gave us this commandment to Sabbath in the first place. And as I was studying this passage, what I realized is that Sabbath is not just about a day of the week, but it's really about God bringing us out of our Egypt, not just physically, but spiritually, and actually inviting us to come into the glory and the pleasure of his kingdom. And when I started to understand that Sabbath is not just about taking that one, week per, uh, one day per week to rest, um, but it's actually a way for us to exit our world, to leave it behind, and enter a whole new world with God, it was really exciting to me, and not just because that's the name of my favorite Disney song. Um, I had to resist the temptation to make the title of the sermon A Whole New World. So I think you guys should give me some credit for showing some restraint. Um, but that's really the main idea behind um, everything that I wanted to talk about today. I really believe that if we had the right perspective of Sabbath and understood God's heart behind giving us the command, we would treasure it more and actually be excited uh, to put it into practice. Um, so, yeah, to finally uh, go to the passage in Exodus 31, uh, there's just a few things that stick out to me that I wanted to talk about. And um, I'll start by um, just reading verses 12 and 13. It starts like this. Um, the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So just in those two verses, the first thing that jumps out to me actually is the phrase, above all. Um, this is interesting to me because I think when we read it that way, maybe our first uh, initial you know, interpretation is that maybe the Sabbath commandment, God is saying that the Sabbath commandment is the most important commandment. Um, but I actually don't think that's what God is saying here. And, you know, if you go to the New Testament and see what Jesus said when someone asked him what is the greatest commandment, you know, he clearly says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And even in the way that he um, carried out his life, um, Jesus made it very clear that keeping the Sabbath, at least in a literal way, was not more important than um, certain other things that he was doing in his life. But still, to use this phrase, above all, and then in the verses after that, you know, he actually God actually specifies that those who break the Sabbath are to be put to death and cut off from the people. That's not something we can just kind of overlook. So why does God say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths? Uh, well, again, I think it makes more sense when we look at the context and we see that the chapters that lead up to this uh, what God's been doing is actually been giving the, uh, the Israelites a bunch of very specific commands on how to build his holy tabernacle. So our passage is in Exodus 31, uh, but if you go back to Exodus uh, chapter 25 um, and read forward, you'll see that it's all these really detailed instructions on building God's holy place. So like what materials to use, uh, what measurements and what shapes, and he even calls on specific people by name um, to work on certain parts of his holy tabernacle. And these are usually kind of the chapters that we kind of slip o uh, skip over or gloss over when we uh, read the Bible. Uh, but the point is that God was putting the Israelites to work on this really important project, something that was really significant. They're going to build the holy place that God's very presence was going to dwell with them. So when God follows up these instructions uh, by saying, above all, you must keep my Sabbaths, this is his way of telling the Israelites that, you know, all these things that I just told you to work on are really important, but what's actually even more important, even above all these commands, is that you still obey my command to Sabbath. So I've already talked a lot about Sabbath and how it's meant to free us from our slavery to work. And I'm not going to stay on this point too long, but I do think that it's significant for us to um, make note that God places Sabbath even above the task of building his own holy tabernacle. Because I don't know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what kinds of things that all of you guys do at your jobs, um, but my guess is that, and I don't want to diminish anyone's occupation, but my guess is that it isn't as uh, holy or significant as building God's temple. And for me, um, I guess as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of my first job in high school uh, when I worked at Jewel. So for those of you guys who aren't from Chicago or don't live here, uh, Jewel's like a common grocery store here. Um, but as a high schooler, part of my job was to go out, you know, maybe once or twice an hour and collect all these shopping carts uh, to bring back uh, inside uh, the store. And I remember at the time just feeling really proud of myself when I was able to just stack up a lot of carts and just be really efficient about uh, pushing. Uh, I think I was able to get up to 10 carts at the same time, just pushing, in, pushing them back into the, the store uh, without any help. 
And that's what, I guess, brought me the most uh, satisfaction or, or pride. And I know it's stupid, but um, I was a high school kid at the time making $5.15 an hour, so um, she cut me some slack there. Um, but anyways, a few years later, I remember coming back to that same store, um, and the first thing I saw when I drove into the parking lot was that they actually now had these automated machines that push the carts for you. So there's still like a human that operates these machines. Um, but it was basically doing the same thing that I used to do, except it could do like 25 or 30 carts at the same time. So that was definitely a humbling moment for me. Um, but in a way, I think it made me realize that um, in the big picture, I think no matter what we work on, or no matter what we put our pride in, um, everything that we work on is only significant in a temporary sense. And I, yeah, again, I say this not to diminish uh, anyone's work, um, because God does put a lot of value on our work. Um, and I'm sure you, you guys are doing more significant things than pushing grocery carts. Um, but I'm saying this because when God tells us that his, his Sabbath command is above all, he really does mean above all. Even if you're doing the holiest of things, it's not, the, it's not more important than obeying that command to rest. And the fact that he even attaches a death penalty to disobeying that command, that just shows how serious that God is about breaking us out of our spiritual Egypt. Our tendency to overemphasize our work, that's so ingrained in us that we can't even let go of it when it's a matter of life and death. So the second thing that I want to point out from the passage is how many times God actually uses the phrases throughout the generations and the word forever. So just even in these few verses, verse 13 says, this is, this is a sign between me and you throughout the generations. Verse 16 says, therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. And then verse 17 says, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. So whenever you, know, you see phrases or words repeated a lot, um, I think it means that God wants to emphasize it for a reason. And I think the reason is that God is pointing out how the Sabbath is actually greater than even our concept of time. Even though I think most of us think of Sabbath just in terms of a day of the week, it actually represents a covenant that is forever, which means that you can't measure it really, truly, in hours or minutes uh, or days. And this is something that I think really blew my mind as I was preparing this sermon because I think I've always understood that Sabbath is about having a right perspective about work. But as I was preparing this time around and just reading about the Sabbath, I realized that it's also about having a right perspective of time. By giving us the Sabbath command, God is actually setting us free from the boundaries of time by pointing us to the things that are forever and eternal. And I think that's important to talk about because um, I do think that we are a culture that's not just obsessed with work and productivity, but we're also obsessed with measuring everything in terms of time. Uh, so for me, like every morning when I uh, get into the office at work, the first thing I do is open up my Microsoft Outlook calendar and I look at what my agenda is for the day. You know, what are the meetings I have? What time are the meetings? How long are these meetings? Uh, or every time I turn on my phone, um, I have this you know, calendar widget on my um, home screen 
that tells me you know, what I have to do after work, uh, what things are planned or coming up uh, for the weekend. You know, even um, when someone sends me a link to like a, a YouTube video, um, I've you know, kind of realized that I don't even look at the title of the video or I sometimes don't even look at what it's about, um, but I just uh, decide like if the video is more than five minutes, I'll just look at the timestamp. Time if it's more than five minutes, then most likely I'll just close out the video um, because you know, I just simply feel like I don't have time to, to, uh, to watch that. Um, on a bigger scale, I think um, a big thing that we all really kind of obsess about is our age. And I know even this week, um, a lot of you guys were playing with that face app th thing. Um, and I was debating whether or not to put up the, uh, the, uh, the, the photo that we had. I decided not to. Uh, <laughs> you can ask me after service if you want to see it. Um, but I think it just kind of speaks to like how much we really obsess about our age and just the process of aging and getting older. Um, so earlier this year, um, I actually turned 39 years old. And if I'm being honest, it really affected me a lot more than I would like to admit. Um, I thought I had already come to terms with getting older, um, but it turns out that I'm not quite ready to accept that, you know, age 40 is staring me in the face. And it really made me think back, actually, to you know, about 10 to 15 years ago when I was in my mid-20s. And some of you guys might be entering this phase of your life right now. But that was, you know, thinking back, that was one of the darkest times of my life. And it's in part because of the things that I was going through with my career and with relationships. Um, but I think underneath all that, and what was really behind all my struggles, was just this kind of panic that I was losing my youth, that my youth was slipping away from me and that my best days were going to be behind me and I was going to lose all the chance that, to do all the things that I wanted to do with my life. Um, I remember, you know, I would always listen to uh, John Mayer and there's this song called Why, Why Georgia? And in that song he mentions going through um, this quarter-life crisis and, you know, 27-year-old Joe, I think, just uh, would just kind of sit there and listen and kind of stew in that. and. Um, just um, be thinking about how much that song captured the anxiety and the angst and the emotional struggles of what I was feeling at that time. You know, I was really obsessed with, you know, wondering about what I was accomplishing with my life, what was the meaning and what was the worth of all the things that I was doing, and worrying about, you know, whether I was just living my life all wrong. And my guess is that a lot of us probably go through similar times of crisis in our lives, maybe just at different ages and different points in your life. But in any case, I think the reason why we care so much about this, why we think so much about it, is because we're very aware that our time in this world is limited and it's not something that we can control. The thing is, like, we can't rewind time, we can't put our lives on pause, and you can't, you know, you can't uh, tell yourself, like, I'm going to forever stay 25 or 21. Um, and we really can't even slow it down, you know, no matter how much we might want to or try to. So, you know, understanding that, I think it really kind of causes us to feel, um, in a way, trapped or enslaved by this sort of ticking clock that represents our lives on this planet. So I think that's the real reason why we're very reluctant to consistently take our Sabbath days. Because on some level, it feels like we're wasting valuable time that we're, we're never going to get back. And most of us have so much going on in our lives, and we already feel like our time is scarce. 
So the thought of giving up like a whole day of our week, it feels like a luxury that um, you know, not, the majority of us just can't afford to do. But the reality is that this is exactly the mentality that God is trying to free us from. Sabbath is supposed to be a regular reminder to us that even though time is precious and we have no real control over it, that we worship a God who is timeless. He's a God who is king over everything and he even has authority over the whole realm of time and eternity. It's meant to take us out of our limited perspective of the world where everything is temporary and eventually goes away with time and bring us into God's perspective where his world is eternal and forever and it lasts from generation to generation. So on this note, I just want to offer a couple, I guess, practical suggestions that have kind of helped me to put the Sabbath into practice. And um, keep in mind, you know, before, before I uh, share these, keep in mind these are not laws or requirements, um, but they're just things that I found helpful, and I hope that they'll get you guys to maybe think a little bit more on how you can be applying Sabbath into your lives. Uh, so the first suggestion I want to make is um, instead of making Sabbath a day of the week, try, try to practice it the way that the Jewish people traditionally do it, from sundown until sundown. So for most of my life, my idea of Sabbath um, was that I just choose one day of the week and it starts when I wake up, you know, for example, on a Saturday morning, and then it ends when I go to sleep, and then the next day I wake up and, you know, Sabbath is over. And just by default, that's kind of how I've always thought about it. As far as I know, there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. There's nothing wrong with that interpretation. Um, but last year, I actually had a chance to um, visit Israel and take like a two-week tour there. And um, one of the things that I observed while I was there was that they actually start their Sabbath in the evening when the sun goes down and then they carry it forward and then they end it the following evening when the sun goes down. So I thought that was really interesting and I decided to try doing that in my own life when I came back from the trip. And what I found is that there's actually some things that I really, really liked about doing Sabbath from sundown to sundown. So for one thing, you know, I just realized that it was kind of easier to just fit my schedule around a sundown to sundown Sabbath. And I know that shouldn't be the main factor, but it you know, just helped give me a lot more flexibility to adjust my Sabbath um, without breaking its flow and to not miss uh, certain events. Um, but another thing is, you know, when you start at sundown, you're actually beginning your Sabbath at a time of the day when you've already worked for a whole day. And that's precisely the time when you need rest the most. And I think it's helped me to embrace that moment of entering Sabbath rest and really appreciate it more when it happens um, compared to just you know, waking up, uh, feeling already rested when I start uh, my Sabbath day. And I think that kind of ties into um, you know, the last thing I want to say about it, which is there's something valuable about just being awake when you begin your Sabbath and when you end your Sabbath. I think instead of passively starting and stopping with your sleep schedule, um, you get to be more intentional about entering that time. Uh, it gives you a chance to pray your way into the Sabbath and then pray your way as you exit your Sabbath. Um, and I think it really, all of that really helps to drive home the point that Sabbath is about leaving our worldly kingdom so that we can enter God's kingdom, even if it's just for a day at a time. The second thing, uh, suggestion I guess I wanted to make is 
to do something on your Sabbath that causes you to lose track of time. So I'll say that again. Do something on your Sabbath that causes you to lose track of time. Um, and this kind of goes along with the point that I was making about Sabbath freeing us from being bound by time. And I'm guessing for some of you, maybe one of the challenges that you find when you try to uh, put Sabbath into action is you don't know what to do. You know, the Bible doesn't really give us many specific instructions on what you should be doing on your Sabbath. Um, you know, it gives us maybe more instructions on what you should not be doing. Um, but essentially, God kind of leaves uh, a lot of flexibility for us to figure it out. Um, but for me, uh, one of the things that I've come to enjoy the most in my life is taking baths. <laughs> and um, I debated whether or not to share this part because I didn't want the one thing that you guys take away from the sermon to be that Joe Chen takes bubble baths. But um, I hope you guys take something more meaningful away from this. But honestly, um, taking baths is one of the most consistently restful and satisfying experiences that I've discovered in my life. And it kind of makes me sad that I didn't really discover it until about a year or two ago. Um, but I've definitely been making up for lost time uh, ever since I did. So um, I can't really fully explain why, but there's something about taking baths that helps me let go of just almost everything else that's cluttering my brain at, that, at a given time. And there's not really many things that can get me to really stop uh, thinking about you know, what I have to do next and my schedule, or worrying about this thing, or worrying about that thing. But for the times that I'm soaking in those bubbles, I really do feel like I'm transported to a different place. Um, so yeah, anyways, that's probably more than you guys wanted to know about me and my bubble baths. If there's any of you who do want to know more, talk to me after service, and I'll share with you all of my uh, tips and bathing knowledge. Um, but the point I want to make is, you should really find something to do on your Sabbath that helps you to stop thinking about time. And for each of you, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's reading a good book, maybe it's laying out in the sun, or running along the lake, or playing Settlers of Catan, um, although I know that isn't the most uh, stress-relieving thing for a lot of us. But whatever it is, I think the key is that you give yourself a chance to become so immersed in something else, in something that you stop being, uh, feeling bound by the things of this world, and you start to kind of enter into the eternal realm. And I know that it seems counterintuitive to tell yourself to lose track of time, because for the other six days of your week, that's generally a bad thing to do. Um, but kind of the point of Sabbath is that this is the one day of the week where you're not supposed to be constantly tracking yourself with time. So the third and the last thing I wanted to highlight from our passage is how all this actually points us to Jesus and the gospel. And you know, even as I'm trying to share all of these practical applications, um, I worry that there's a danger that we see Sabbath as just an escape from work or for us to just boil it down to a list of leisure activities. And I really don't want us to lose sight of the big picture. Uh, so to go back to the passage, in verse 13, um, God says to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So I want to kind of focus on that last part and notice how that last part of the verse is phrased because this is so, um, so very important. The reason that God commands, was commanding the Israelites to keep the Sabbaths 
was so that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Notice that God doesn't say, keep my Sabbath so that you can become sanctified. He says, keep my Sabbath so that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And this is a really important distinction for us to make, and it gets at the heart of who God is and the good news of the gospel. So whenever God gives us a command, uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is to think that our obedience to that command is what makes us holy. We think that if we can just avoid certain sins, like lying or murder or committing adultery, and instead we can obey uh, certain commands, we can give to the poor and love our neighbor and share the gospel, we think that by doing these things we'll become more holy in God's eyes. But that's really not how God sees it at all, and that's not how he operates. When he tells the Israelites to obey the Sabbath, he's very careful and specific to remind them that I, the Lord, sanctify you. In other words, what God's saying to us as he's giving us this Sabbath command is, don't fall into this trap of thinking that your holiness is something you can produce on your own. Just stop working and keep this Sabbath command that I'm giving you and simply let me do my thing in your life because I, the Lord, am the one that's going to sanctify you. And to me, this is the most beautiful thing about the God that we worship. God never tells us, make 915 more Etch-a-Sketches and then I'll accept you. We might even try to tell ourselves that, but God doesn't ever see it that way. His love for us is unconditional. This is not what God is about and this is not what his kingdom is about. And if you don't believe me, I just want to leave you guys with um, you know, some of the words that Jesus himself uh, shared. Um, so in Matthew 6, uh, verses 25 to 33, and this is probably a familiar passage, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I know that this is probably a passage that a lot of us have gone to before, um, but we pro typically probably don't connect it to the Sabbath. Um, but as I was reading it and studying it, um, you know, in preparation for the sermon, I, I realized that there's just this amazing common thread and amazing symmetry with everything that uh, we've been talking about uh, from the passage in Exodus. Uh, just to kind of paraphrase, Jesus is saying to them, stop worrying about these worldly things. That's what the Gentiles seek after. You're not a Gentile, you're my people. I brought you out of that world for a reason. 
you no longer live in Egypt, so you shouldn't be clinging to the things that that world obsesses about, what you make and what you produce and what you can consume. Don't you see that in your world, none of you have the power to even add a single hour to your life, no matter how hard you try. There's a better place where I want you to go. This is the kingdom of God. In my kingdom, you aren't defined by any of those things. Come to my kingdom where you can be free from the boundaries of time because I am an eternal God and my kingdom is eternal. Seek that kingdom first. So I just want to leave you guys uh, with that challenge just to reflect on what Jesus is saying to you in these words and what it means for you guys in your life. Are you going to continue seeing Sabbath as just another rule to follow, just another regulation? Do you think of it uh, only as one day out of the week where you can take a break from work if you need it? Or do you understand that Sabbath means so much more than that? Do you see that it's actually a call from God to leave your Egypt behind, to enter into his kingdom and to experience the true rest that can only be found in him? And are you willing to trust God enough to let go of the things that are keeping you from getting there? So I'll leave it at that, and um, I'll close this in prayer. Um, but you know, as the worship team um, leads us in the final songs, um, you know, one of the things that we do at uh, this church is that we uh, provide a space for you guys to receive prayer. Uh, so to my left and to my right, we also have um, our prayer, um, prayer team leaders. Um, so this is something I would really encourage you guys, um, you know, as you're reflecting either on this week or on this message, um, just come up and, um, you know, share a little bit with one of our leaders and just receive prayer. That's one of the things that is really precious um, about, uh, the, yeah, about doing this together as a church. Uh, so let me just close us in prayer and then we'll enter into our uh, worship.